Wait, is this thing on? Hi, I'm Lorena Chen, Managing Partner of LWC Concepts. Hey everyone, I'm Esther Lee Leach, the Publishing Editor-in-Chief of Cherry Creek Fashion Magazine. I'm Karen Nimmo, founder of Found Her. This is Lee Gordon, the owner and editor of The Scout Guide Denver. I'm Annie Bloge, founder and editor of The Bloge Report and AnnieBloge.com. And welcome to the Wait Is This Thing On podcast. Maximilian Potter arrives. Yeah. So um, I thought a good topic to touch on today would be the leap year because that's coming up on Saturday. That's crazy. crazy. And that comes every four years. So just kind of a moment of reflection of what everybody was doing four years four ago. Years ago. So four years ago, I was in like. Let's, see, let's be better at introducing ourselves. In, oh, I'm <laughs> Esther. Everyone knows what you sound like. Like Esther. <laughs> I was in parenthood hell. My kid was just over a month old. I had him in early January. Where were you? And I was in hell in Colorado. He was born here. Yeah. Woo! Champagne time. So that's what I was doing four years ago. Wasn't sleeping. He was chewing on my boobs. (laughs) And it was hell. That's better than now, (laughs) right? At least you get some sleep. Well, sometimes. At least you get some sleep. What were you doing, Annie? Gosh, well, I was thinking about the same thing. Four years ago, I was probably at a children's, like, gymnastic gym Mm -hmm. with my two-year-old. Like, Jerry in Colorado? Yeah, like, Uh bored out of my mind. Like, bored out of my mind. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Were you dancing and doing gymnastics? Oh, I was trying to get, like... Uh, my youngest, Archie, my oldest was in school at the time, but my youngest, I was home. I was a stay-at-home mom with my son for, until I started my site. And um, I, as a break in between being a fashion designer and starting and starting the website, and uh, he hated uh, uh, bouncy houses. He was terrified of bouncy houses. And they had this big sports gym, and it, they would just fill them with bouncy houses so the kids could run around. And he would, like scream no, his eyes no. like just ball and I'd be like why don't you love a bouncy house everybody loves a bouncy house so I'm pretty just sure just go into the bouncy house and don't bother the me for the next hour I know mom needs oh to scroll through her gosh. phone for a while yeah, so exactly. that's where I was four years ago yeah mm. Lorena, I would, or, or, yeah. Karen four, what were you doing Lorena no, you I was going to say four years ago <laughs> exactly I was in Hawaii with oh, living in Hawaii no, a friend was having a conference in, where was it? Wow, Big really- Island. So I tagged along with her, and she happens to be the friend that how Sam and I met. Oh, oh, really? oh wow. Yeah. So I went to this con- uh, conference with her, and I remember we were just arriving at our resort like, oh, my God, it's leap year today. That's <laughs> oh, so wow. crazy. And then we were both single at the time. Um, and so now four years later, it's crazy because she has a baby trying for her second with her significant other. And then I got oh my engaged, married, moved to Denver. So a lot can happen. Wait, in four years. She introduced wow. you to. Exactly. Yeah, you would have never thought then and, that you would be in Denver, right? And ironically, <laughs> sitting right here, got, us crazy people. We got married on her birthday. Our wedding date fell oh, wow. on her birthday. Oh. So it's just... 
like serendipitous. Angel in your life. That's so, so crazy. Always, like, so thankful. Very to nice. Introduce us, awesome. but not on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, the right place crazy? at the right time. Um, okay, so I was in the throes of it. Um, <laughs> I switched jobs, so I went from a design and development agency to being head of product at Ratio, which is a startup, like a smart sprinkler control company. And I was their head of product, so I started a new job. Um, my youngest, I have three girls, my youngest was just one. Um, so I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. You're like literally um, starting a new job, I don't... and then we felt like it was a good idea to remodel our house. So we had moved out of our house. Oh my gosh! I was working a new job and trying to raise three kids. <laughs> You're like and, gluttony for punishment. Wow. Yeah, and it was like you know that was supposed to be my dream job. I was so pumped, and it was like going to be everything that I had worked my entire career for. I remember that. The pinnacle. Yeah, like this is it. Like this is gonna be like the most amazing. Which maybe it wasn't. Um, but no. But I learned a lot, and I'm so grateful for it. Really. Um, but yeah, I just remember it was really, really crazy and chaotic. And I like showed up. This is a good example of how crazy Mm -hmm. it was. I showed up to Delilah's kindergarten performance, like end of year kindergarten performance, and I was like early, and Michael was there early, and I'm like, oh my god, look at us, like we are early, we are winning, we are winning, and like two minutes before it starts, all of a sudden I had this like pit in my stomach, and I looked at Michael, and I said, where's Delilah? Who has Delilah? I went to the kindergarten performance no. and forgot my own child. I did not bring the child to the kindergarten performance. That is so I was funny. there. So, yeah, that's like a perfect example of how crazy my life was. Wait, where was she? Yeah, where was she? She was at home with the nanny. Yeah, that's right. That is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So things are still crazy, <coughs> but crazy in a different way and way more balanced. And I feel like I can give so much more to my children now, which well, is awesome. It's also, I think, interesting to think about how things that you work so hard for and think are going to be a certain way right. don't yes. necessarily meet those expectations. Exactly. Yeah. And how disappointing that can be yes, sometimes. It was. But liberating too. Yeah. Like it was a forcing pivot function in my life right. at one point, you know? Yeah that kind of forced me into a new direction. But yeah, that's what my life was like four years ago. That's hysterical. <laughs> Mine, um, I had to look back. Like, I knew I was in LA, but I there are little different segments of my life. So right. I had to go look through Instagram to see what I was posting four years ago. <laughs> I was still living in Santa Monica, so that was what I was doing. And I just was studying for maybe I had just passed my California real estate license. Oh, nice. Mm. So that's kind of what I was doing professionally. Um, And about later in the year, I moved to like the Bel Air area. So I moved Mm -hmm. like further, closer to Beverly Hills into a little cottage, which was great. But um, yeah, there was a lot of change that happened right that night. I got like my heart broken Mm. was studying for the real estate exam, which I was really excited about because I've always loved real estate and it just felt like kind of that time to take control. Like Mm. I want to now do something that I want to do. So that was really great. Um, And then it was just a few months later that I sold my first house. Yeah, very nice. So that was good. So that all happened pretty quick. That's so Um, cool. Yeah. 
But I would have never thought, I guess, back then that I would have found myself in Colorado again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. very yeah. happy you're here. So. Yeah, I know. Good. And like, I would have thought I would have continued real estate. And I mm. will say my license has now expired. So mm. I didn't even keep it active. How does that make you feel? I, oh. I can't even, I don't even have the time to think mm. about it. Yeah. But if I were to ever get it again, I would just be like a referring agent. I don't know if I would ever go in the game yeah. again. But I love homes. I love real estate. I love looking at homes. I love... The design of homes. I love everything about yeah. homes. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go into a home store than a clothing store, mm-hmm. personally. So My dad was an interior designer, and we would go looking at model homes on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that, we would so, like do. We would like not do sports. We would just go drive around <laughs> looking at was, model homes and dream about what our life yeah. would be like if we lived oh. in this house. Which was weird. I loved it. I loved that. <laughs> but like, as a that kid, you're always like, are we really going to move? <laughs> like, Dad, are we going to move? Right, right. No, you just like going in homes. Yeah. I get I it. it. It's fun. Yeah, I miss my calling as an interior designer. <laughs> you can still do <laughs> yeah, it. exactly. Why it's the not? win away. See, that's a good question. What have you missed your calling in? Because I always say I miss the boat on being an artist. Mm. Like, yeah. I like would have gone to art school mm. and been an artist or like a graphic designer. Yeah. Like, totally missed the boat on all that. But that's like if I was going to redo it. And I know it's not too late and I can no, redo not. it. And I am You're taking, taking classes. classes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, I just painted the Rabbi Rocker last night. Um, I'll show you guys later what that looks like. Uh, so that's gotta go. My but architect, yeah. architect. My dad, in his like second career, was a like a luxury home builder out yeah. in Aspen and Telluride. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to take like I want to work for him and take over yeah. the company. And I love looking at the architecture plans. And I had all this these intentions to go to college and study architecture. And I got there and I was like, not doing it. It's a lot like, of math. And I love math, but like I don't know why I just didn't do it. Yeah. I just didn't do it. And then it's not just something that you can, like an art class. It's like a big investment. So I definitely think I missed my calling, but I think there's still more to be had. That's funny because I didn't want to do architecture because of the math aspect. Yeah. So I was like, no, thank you. I love math. I used to be a math champion at school. Really? I won awards. I have trophies for being a math champion. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love math. I love spreadsheets. I I love it all. I was a spelling bee champion. You were? Very nice. Eighth grade. Very nice. Get this. I lost <laughs> on sleeveless. I lost the county uh, spelling bee on no. sleeveless. What, oh how did you spell God. it now? Future fashion designer. <laughs> Can you spell lost it, it now? On <laughs> I don't know. I'm not even going to. No, I'm not going there. It's too traumatic. I have PTSD. What, le- what letter did you use? <clears throat> I think I left out an E. There's like a oh. lot of E's, right? Oh, sleeveless. So yeah, I think I left out an E. But in fashion, you only abbreviate it into like L L S L V S. So I never had to spell it again. Oh, no, but it so was funny. the first time I was allowed to wear pantyhose, and that is also a very distinct moment oh my in my gosh. brain. That's like spelling bee and tan pantyhose. Amazing. Oh my Remember God. when that was like shiny, oh, yeah. sparkly oh, yeah. tan the pantyhose in the, the egg legs, legs wow. from the grocery oh, store? Right. Yeah. I remember being like, I'm an adult, so I can wear pantyhose. <laughs> and meanwhile, like as an adult. I never, you never, 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 never. I wanted a retainer more than, or no, I wanted a headgear more than anything. What? Yeah, because my older sister had one, and I wanted one. And the day I came home with braces on my teeth, not even the wire, just the thing. I was like, I've arrived. You're like the sister from 
South Park. Yeah, yeah she's, she's like, all right. Oh, she's yeah. like, stop staring at me. She's uh, like, <laughs> she had the headgear I know, on. I got the headgear. I didn't get the headgear. Oh, I man. wanted it. Well, lucky, lucky you. I did get braces, but I didn't get the headgear. Well, Sophie, yeah. my middle one this year for Christmas, asked, she wanted a puppy and braces. Aww. And then after Christmas, when That's she didn't so get a cute. puppy or braces, she wrote that elf person, Hope. And she's like, Dear Hope, I found this letter. And she's like, I didn't get anything I wanted for oh, Christmas no. today. She goes, All I wanted was braces and a puppy. Oh Can my you God. fix it? Question mark. Oh my gosh. That's like, so start funny. pushing your teeth out with your tongue and you're going to be fine. My you son is oh. braces. It's a. Whole thing. Oh, so I think our guest is here. So yeah. we're gonna say goodbye for now. Yeah, and then we'll be, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Bye, guys. Hello, everybody. We're back, and we're sitting here with our guest today, who is award-winning writer, author, and editor Maximilian Potter. Yay! Yay. Welcome, Mr. Potter. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule. <laughs> <Mr>. <laughs> Welcome back. Very formal. Um, we're excited to dive into your story with champagne, rosé, whatever. Everybody is <laughs> I'm drunk in. already. Can by you the just way. note the time? At nine. Yeah. Yeah. It's nine thirty, nine fifty-five right now. <laughs> um, so we want to learn about your experience, your yeah. career. I know you have stories for days. <laughs> no, nope. so, it's gonna be a short podcast. Yeah, oh, pretty, also, pretty boring. You're our first uh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you should feel you very, that. very yeah. privileged. Thanks for being our guy. Yeah. I'm the first dude. Yeah, yeah. Our first dude. So thank you for. Well, well so thank you. For I think it up. that's good. Yes. Did I do something that's wrong? No, <laughs> you did something great. Yeah. To be asked. Yeah. Yes. I know you. Huh. We needed a guy to mix it up. So if I screw this around. I ruin it That's for, it. for, for dudes. You might be the first and last guy. Ever. <laughs> you know how many times I've heard that? <laughs> oh my god! So can you tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got started writing? And why we asked you yeah. to be our first mm -hmm. and last? Well, you, yeah. you tell me why that. I mean, you just must have read out of interesting what got people. What you to this podcast? Exactly. Tell us how you got to this point in Denver and your life, career? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of In a that, nutshell. In a nutshell. <laughs> Cliff's uh, Notes version. Uh, you mean most immediately how I got to Denver? Like well, how did happened? you start writing? Like, you're mm -hmm. obviously okay, a well-known writer. Okay, so one's Alpha, one's Omega. How I started writing is, uh, I grew up in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. uh, the neighborhood's northeast Philadelphia. It's working class, working You were born poor. and raised. Born and raised, yes. I On know the, the playground. Song. <laughs> yes. Actually, my... Oh! Actually, oh, my, my, my high school football practice is in that, in that Will Smith song. Oh, a place God. called The Plateau is where everybody go. Yeah. Wow. That's Belmont Plateau. That's oh, why wow. you Did you write the song? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Do you know Let me tell you, if, if I wrote that song, no disrespect to you guys, I would not be here. <laughs> I did profile him once. Did you? Very good. I went golfing with him for a while. Oh, cool. He's amazing. Uh, nice. Wow. That's nice to hear. Yeah. So... To, back to your question. Uh, so I was born and raised in Northeast Philadelphia. Um, neither my parent, I, neither my parents graduated high school. Right. Mm. It's like a really modest upbringing. Just me and my brother. Primarily working. Oh, what's class. his name? What's his name? His name is Michael. Michael, Michael and Potter. My father got to name You won me. the name game. <laughs> Depends on the perspective. No, okay. Hey, hey, my husband's Michael. Oh. <laughs> I my like mom, the two ends. My mom's pretty partial to Michael. You know, she picked that mm. one. So I knew, and I went to Catholic school from like kindergarten to 12th grade. And uh, 
I like to say the Jesuits in high school cured me of Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, uh, I knew that I wanted to write mm -hmm. early on. Um, I used to read, you know, books. Uh, I used to read books. You used to read books. Do you now listen to them? <laughs> no, no. Oh. I mean, but, but I would, when I'd start to read them and they would be very emotionally evocative. Yeah. And uh, I used to think, wow, what a, what a really incredible, powerful, wonderful mm. thing to be able to put words together in such a way that they make somebody feel something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so more or less I was encouraged and I, I can't say by whom specifically. It certainly wasn't my parents. They weren't big readers. Yeah. Um, books were not a part of me growing up. Um, it's not like we had a library. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they didn't discourage reading, um, but it's not like they were college professors. Right. Right. Uh, so... Just over time, I migrated toward, hey, I just felt like, this is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but for me, it's the truth. I kind of felt this was, I was called in some yeah. way mm -hmm. to, to words. Um, I, beyond that, I didn't know what the fuck that meant. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was pretty miserable at math. I didn't give a shit about a whole lot else. Yeah. Um, so I just kept being pulled more and more toward words, and at an early age, had enough successes, whatever that looks like when you're in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Like I got an A in English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then by the time I got to college, uh, which was Allegheny College in Western Pennsylvania, Allegheny is in Meadville, um, known, known in air quotes for like producing dad's dog food, uh, channel lock, channel lock oh, dad's pliers, dog food? dad's dog food, what? channel lock pliers, and more or less the birthplace of Sharon Stone. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Pretty much, pretty much nothing else is happening Sharon. in Meadville. Okay. Sharon. Oh my she babysat for one of my college dorm mates. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh wow. Um, That's funny. That's get enough cough syrup in this guy. You can tell stories. <laughs> wow. So, you know, at Allegheny, I just majored in uh, English, but I kind of created my own major of creative writing. Mm -hmm. And I took uh, pretty much every poetry, writing, and journalism class you could take, which is like four. Mm -hmm. um, and to graduate undergrad for Allegheny, you have to do the undergraduate ver version of a thesis. Mm. So I wrote a novella with. Oh. So I, I wow. made it like creative writing, and you know, mm. uh, and I internship. I did an internship with the Meadville Tribune. Amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. not really. Um, <laughs> that's where you. I think my first piece was like I went writing news. about <laughs> writing about being left-handed. You know, <laughs> left-handed. Uh, yeah. Wasn't really that. breaking news. No, but it's something a subject. It's that something is a that also right. yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. understand. We don't understand. You don't understand hmm. what it is to trail graphite across the. Sure. <laughs> yeah, blurred out. The nuns tried to cure me of that, but fucking didn't work. Nope. So then I'm graduating Allegheny with a, you know, more or less a creative writing major, and this is 1993, so the media landscape is completely different. Right. Just completely different. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I, I didn't know anyone, you know? It's not like I developed a lot of contacts at the Meadville Tribune. <laughs> so I, I, like every other, pretty much every other idiot who is in that age bracket, they dream of writing, you know, the great American novel. Right. I was like, mm -hmm. I gotta make some fucking money. Like, that's not a luxury yeah. I have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the ways that you can um, write and uh, get paid mm -hmm. on a relatively mm -hmm. regular basis? Right. Um, so that was one consideration. And then I 
the four years I did at the Jesuit school um, in Philadelphia pretty much changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to, it, it's, they, they market themselves and they argue with our, one of the better, if not the best schools in Philadelphia. It's called St. Joe's Prep. And through the encouragement of my uncle, who was a Catholic priest when I was in seventh or eighth grade, he said, hey, you should think about going to this place. And I was like, whatever, I don't know what the fuck it is. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So he pretty much uh, sat me down and helped me write my application. I applied. Um, I also applied to the United States Naval Academy, which was oh, wow. uh, totally a completely wow. different job. Yeah. And <laughs> also because of him, because he was a chaplain in the Navy. He was a yeah. commander in the Navy. So I applied to St. Joe's, get in. And <laughs> St. Joe's at the time, and still is, is a pretty pricey school. My, my parents couldn't afford it. Mm. But I tested in, um, and because we were so poor, and because of my score, I got a work, I got a work scholarship. Mm. Which means uh, I got in, and to get pretty substantial financial mm. aid, I would go down in the summer and like paint toilets or clean oh, toilets, wow. paint the bathroom, yeah. that kind of shit. And most of my classmates, actually the vast majority of my classmates, were from some of the, sort of the poshest zip mm. codes in Philadelphia, from the main line. Main line. Bryn Mawr, Haverford, Grace Kellyville. Yeah. Um, these are where most of my classmates came yeah. from. Mm-hmm. And the unofficial cell line of that school, actually, which the principal had said to our parents like that first day, is this is a place where the sons of brain surgeons go to class with the sons of bus drivers. That was true. Um, and it was a great equalizer mm. culturally. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter. You know, there was the city kids. Mm. Um, and then there was the suburban kids. Yeah. You're just people. You're, like you're all. Well, that's what I, that's when I, I cited as life changing for that very reason. Yeah. Um, because when I went in, you know, I remember my dad before I went to school, I knew enough to know like, Hey, these were fancy rich kids. Yeah. So I got my dad to take me to this uh, men's store on uh, Castor Avenue in Philadelphia. I don't even know if it's fucking still there. It was called Fleets. Like, Fleets was the shit. Before school started. Before school started. Oh, wow. And he got me... And he later told me, like, it was his whole paycheck. Oh, He got me, like, two sport coats, uh, some dress shirts, and two pair of slacks. And the slacks were, like, 300% polyester. (laughs) And I remember, like... My my first yes. because I didn't want to look like a chump. Yeah, right? like I'm yeah. trying to like blend, you know. Right. So I walk into school, but it's like I'm going in and it's freshman room, freshman class, and every time I walk, it's like. So I was the dude in the polyester pants, right? That's like, don't mind that. Well, oh what what I learned is to your point, you know. I mean, it, over the course of four years, I developed. Um, friendships and I felt like I gained a lot of cultural insight mm-hmm. um, that th- there was very little difference among us despite yeah. the facades mm-hmm. yeah despite the pretense yeah much of it rooted in insecurities yeah. much of it rooted in you know privilege um, chips on shoulders mm-hmm. but um, you know for example like well, the wealth- if you take that influence away like the parents not that the parents are influencing that, but like when you're living at home, you know, I always say you're a product of your environment. So when you're going to school, right? Are you yeah. in college now? No, this, 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 this is so. This is when I was in high school, St. Joe's. Oh, this is high school. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So the, 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 I'm coming back Cut to what, how yeah. I got. So the one reason sorry. I wanted to go into writing was I felt like at that point I was kind of drawn to it. But then ultimately, what the, what the Jesuits teach, and I'm a very lapsed Catholic, but a very big supporter of the Jesuits. But ultimately, what the Jesuits teach 
is to be, well, as an all boys school, so they call it be a man for others, be a person for oh, others. Yeah. Wow. And it's not horseshit. Like, yeah, it's right. really interwoven yeah. into the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And basically, you look for ways to have some positive impact on the world. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a buddy of mine, Steve Matz. He's actually an architect now in Chicago. But when I was graduating <coughs> college, um, he sent me a, a Joe Mitchell uh, book and he wrote on the inside you know there's many ways to nudge the universe mm -hmm. um, yours is probably journalism or something to that effect yeah and I was oh, like cool. okay yeah. this this seems like things are coalescing in right. a way right that might work and so I'm graduating Allegheny I want to write I need to make money I don't know anybody so I applied to Northwestern grad school oh. and um, wow. I applied to two I was gonna my plan was to apply to two Northwestern and Columbia but this is God's honest truth. Like I partied through the deadline for Columbia. I was not the most attentive dude to deadlines still to this day, oh which is consistent. God. And I woke up and I was like, fuck, I missed the deadline oh, for no. Columbia. That leaves Northwestern. <laughs> and so I got in and I went to Northwestern. Um, and there I studied, uh, I started out in the reporting track. They had, at the time, they had four tracks, so this is 93, 94-ish, and they had four tracks, I don't remember all of them, but it was basically broadcast, radio, oh, magazines, and reporting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I watched all the movies about mm -hmm. reporters, they're like the manly man, gritty dudes, like <laughs> yeah. I'm going to yeah. be a reporter. Uh -huh. And I did it for like the first semester, and then I did an internship at the Erie Daily Times uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. And I worked for the sports desk. And I covered the minor league baseball team there, the Erie Sailors. Mm. It was the worst fucking summer of my life. I'm not kidding. It was absolutely the worst summer of my life. I lived in a dorm at Mercyhurst College. Oh. During the summer, there's fucking nobody there. Oh. And I'm covering like this baseball team that nobody gives a shit about, yeah. including oh, no. me. Um, I'm trying to like make the stories interesting. At one point, the coach ends up accidentally spitting in my face for a piece oh. that I wrote. And I'm like, oh, and I'm no. under a daily deadline. Oh, I'm like, what am I doing? This is so not for me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. And then what flipped the switch for me for magazines is I did an internship with Philadelphia Magazine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't remember when exactly I did that. It was sometime around grad school, like right around this period. <clears throat> and Philadelphia Magazine at the time, and again, another example of how the media landscape is different, mm -hmm. up until like the late 90s, maybe mid-90s, there were certain city and regional magazines that were essentially the farm team for nationals. Mm -hmm. So like Texas Monthly was the you shit. You learned a little baseball terminology. There you go. <laughs> Texas Monthly was the shit. Los Angeles Magazine was up there. Philadelphia mm -hmm. Magazine was up there. Boston, New York. So the trajectory traditionally had been, if you wanted to go into national magazines, mm -hmm. you would, if you're in Atlanta was another one. Um, if you got on to some, one of these prestigious regional magazines, city and regional magazines, you could prove yourself. Then you kind of stepped onto a stage where you were a prospect uh, for the nationals and they would look hmm. to the work hmm. of the city and regionals. That's, that's all gone now. Um, but I did this internship at Philadelphia Magazine and I, I could talk about that all day. But in short, I became convinced. I was like, this is what I want to do. No. Um, this is absolutely how I want to spend like the rest of my life. Just wow. being in magazine publishing. Magazines. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was uh, you know, I was doing it in my hometown, Philly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the projects that they got to work on, I guess a succinct summary of the big difference is the skill sets for newspaper reporting traditionally um, were very, very, are very, very different. And, and I would say, you know, the challenges are very different. With a newspaper, you have a deadline of like a day. If you're lucky, maybe a week, maybe two weeks if you're doing an enterprise piece. But mostly it's daily. Yeah. So they send you out. And you have to go out and you're, you're foraging, right? You're, you're reporting, you get the information, and mm -hmm. you come back and you put down just the facts, mm -hmm. and that's it. Whereas with a magazine, you get an assignment and it's due maybe a month or two mm -hmm. months or three months down the line. Yeah. And you get to fully immerse right. in the subject matter, like in the culture, um, among the people. Mm, right. There's a lot of reporting that happens not by asking, you, you know this, there's yeah. a lot of reporting that happens not by asking questions, but just by being in that place through osmosis. And observing. Yeah. And yeah. observing. Yeah. <laughs> that's way more my speed. Like, I, that's how I'm wired. Now, I, I could not do, nor would I want to do, mm. newspaper reporting. I, I would have a fucking nervous breakdown. Right. Um, yeah. Deadlines. It's a deadlines, deadlines, not my shit. Yeah. Deadline's not my jam. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but, editor. But if you if you if you send me like into a place, if you give me the opportunity to go into a place, and I have that kind of time to, you know, hopefully extract a larger truth or get as close to a larger truth as you can, that makes me happy. Yeah. Like that. That is where I feel like okay. You get to explore. You get to a explore. Yeah. yeah. You get to explore. So that's how I got into writing. That's wow. how I got into magazines. Very that's nice. awesome. Yeah. So where'd you that's go after awesome. the Philadelphia internship? Times. Yeah. It was Philadelphia magazine. Magazine. Times. Um. <laughs> well, at that point, I went back and I changed my specialty at Northwestern from reporting to magazine publishing. Oh. And it used to be. I don't even know if this is still the same way, but it used to be at Northwestern if you're in the grad program. Uh, and, and I think I was one of the, I know this, actually this is true, I was one of the very few, they tell you when you apply, if you apply to a track, the mm -hmm. odds of you transitioning to another track are, it's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. So I went back and I basically petitioned uh, the dude who had the, headed the program, his name is Abe Peck, who was one of the very early, I don't know if he was a founding editor, but one of the very early editors of Rolling Stone. Yeah. Oh, wow. And he, uh, I basically petitioned him and we had a conversation and I don't know exactly why, but yeah. he, he let me. Yeah. So I switched to magazine, and then to graduate from Northwestern, what the program does, the group gets together and kind of does what you're doing. Mm. Um, you have to propose. They break the class up into four or five groups, and you each propose actually executing and publishing a magazine. Mm. And uh, long story short is the idea that I proposed to my group was the one that like won. So you, all four or five oh, wow. of these groups put them up. Uh -huh, mm -hmm. yeah. And then your class votes on what you want to do. Uh -huh. And then the, cl the class votes. So we did something called, it was called Grounded. And this is like in the, you know, this is the early 90s, but it was like when Rock the Vote was the shit. Right? Yeah. Like, remember Andrew Shue? Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, Andrew Shue. Andrew Shue. Yes. So it's like Rock the Vote and, you know, they were doing all these concerts and the check yes. mark. And, yeah. and it seemed like there was a moment in time where there was this groundswell of youth uh, engagement mm. in, in, uh, in politics, in social change, Culture. like at Allegheny. My, my school like protested and they, they were all about apartheid and we shut the fucking campus down. Wow. Um, and it felt like that that was happening like, yeah. in a good way. Yeah. And so we proposed doing a magazine called Grounded and it was geared toward a demographic of um, 
18 to 24 of socially engaged, mm -hmm. politically engaged kids. Yeah. And that's what we ended up doing. Wow. Um, and so then I was like, okay, I'm definitely in the magazines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I ended up doing, this is how I got to LA. I ended up doing, uh, we all took jobs, mm -hmm. like the cloud, you, you got jobs. So wisely, even then, they let me nowhere near the business side. <laughs> and I had some like editorial title, I don't know what the fuck it was. But I, I pitched a feature story to my class. And at that time, the youngest person ever sentenced to death what had just happened. And oh, wow. he was, uh, I believe I have this right, but we're going back a ways. But his name was Michael Dominguez. And he was sentenced to death at the age of 15, I oh. believe, for oh. breaking into a, a, a woman's house strangling and killing her and her like one year old oh, baby Gosh. but I was like the dude sentenced to death like mm. this seems I don't know I'm not Mr. Death yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, there seemed to be at 15 you're at 15. not really fully she developed. might have been 16 yeah well either yeah. way hmm. I don't, didn't know what was going on I was wow. so I pitched I pitched this to the <laughs> class and then you have like this faculty advisory group mm. and they're like yeah go ahead and he had just he was put in a some supermax-ish facility in Las Vegas, in Nevada, outside Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. It's all underground, this mm -hmm. facility. Oh, wow. 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 Oh, wow. So I got, they, they funded my, my trip with like a Reader's Digest grant, and I flew out to Nevada and go to meet this guy. But at the same time, there was a, I found out that there was this magazine called Premier Magazine, mm. um, and they were looking for an editorial assistant. Mm. Yeah. And they were based in L.A. Yeah. So... I end up like finagling an interview and or I applied and they're like, well, if you can get out here, you can do the interview, but like, mm -hmm. I'm not flying you out here. Oh, wow. So I used that Reader's Digest grant money. <laughs> I, I flew into Vegas. I did the interview. Oh, my god! I rented a car. I drove out to uh, L.A. and back in one day and did the interview. Oh, and wow. And they ended up hiring me and then I moved to L.A. after grad school and I worked as an assistant for Premier Magazine. Wow. Yeah. So how did you get then, to Denver? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then become the executive editor of 5280. So mm -hmm. I did premiere for a while. Um, I did premiere for about two years. And that was an amazing time. Um, probably in the 90s. In LA. In LA. So probably oh, lived height. in LA. But not wow. during that time. Yeah, the late 90s. Like the, the Right when I moved there was when the OJ trial was unfolding. Oh, oh, wow. yeah. oh. So... There was that, and, and the, the office for Premier was on, oh it was either God. Pico and Bundy or Olympic and Bundy. Mm. He, oh, he, yeah. he killed Nicole Bundy like, right like there. 10 blocks from right. where yeah. on right. Bundy. Wow. On Bundy. Wow. Yeah. And then, oh you God. know, South Central was fucking blowing up during right. the trial. It was, yeah. it was a yeah. madhouse. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's great but for journalism. It was great for journalism, yeah. but I wasn't covering any of right. that. I was You're bringing up movies. Right. <laughs> like, I remember my boss was this guy, uh, the guy who interviewed me, and he was my boss, and I was his assistant, is this guy, Chris Connolly. And he. Um, oh wait, is he MTV? Is he from MTV? Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. He, so know he was the, he was MTV's big picture show guy yeah. for our generation. Yeah. That he hosted with Kurt Loder. Yes. yes. When I went to interview him, when I went to interview with him, I had no fucking idea who he was. <laughs> None. None. Like movies wasn't my thing. Like I love movies, but I wasn't like I didn't yeah. get a show. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really yeah. see. Fine. Right. Um, but yeah, he was the guy who interviewed me, and he became my boss, and he's now like one of my dearest. Um, friends and wow. whenever I'm in a jam and he's... to work with MTV at that moment when MTV was so oh, it was how... yeah, I had two computers on my desk 
in Premiere. <laughs> one was for the MTV shit, oh, and one wow. was for Premiere magazine stuff. And yeah. he was getting like calls all the time. Like one, one, and my buddies back home in Philly, like I have this one buddy. Uh, so he calls me, and he he. So I would answer Chris's phones, and celebrities not all day, but often mm. for calling into the office. And I'm like 22, 23 <laughs> years old. Like I don't know shit. And I don't want to be a fucking secretary. Right. But I'm answering his phones, and somebody calls in. He goes, "Hello, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'm, calling, <laughs> I'm calling for Christopher Connolly." And I was like, "Oh my god, fuck you, McMenamin." And I hung up. <laughs> Phone rings again. Hello, this is Christopher Connolly. Now my buddy had oh, been doing gosh. this for a while. <laughs> well, it turns out the person calls back like three times. Like the second or third time, he's like, "I don't know who this is." <laughs> This is Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm trying to reach Christopher Connolly. And oh I was my like, God. oh shit. <laughs> it's really you. It's really you. Oh my Hold, God. please. Oh my God. Go next door. Don't uh, tell my Chris, boss. Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> is on line one, and when you're off, we have to talk. <laughs> I hung up on him. I hung up on him. <laughs> I don't know who was answering the phone before me. That was yeah, weird. Yeah, wasn't me. <laughs> So I worked there for like two years and there was a big editorial brouhaha that was like really informative for me for the rest of my life, which is at the time we had a really killer reporter named Cordy Brown and she was doing a business column on uh, Planet Hollywood was the, the, the entities behind Planet Hollywood were going to launch a Marvel comic book themed restaurant at the time. Uh, yeah. Long story short is she... Um, reported essentially that it was like not a very sound business investment mm. and potentially a Ponzi scheme ish kind of thing. Oh, wow. I love Ponzi schemes. <laughs> so no. she, she not to be involved. Not to be involved. Okay. She, she reports on this and um, it's moving its way through the system. And at mm. this point, the founding editor of the magazine, who's Susan Lyon, who is actually one of the most influential people in female um, startup line right now. She had so What's her name? Susan Lyon. Just a remarkable human. She's technically my first boss and just has also been an, a huge role model for me over the last 30 years. But she had left the magazine that she found that she mm -hmm. sold at this company called Hachette. Chris Connolly, who was the West Coast editor, he's now the editor-in-chief. And one of the stakeholders in it was Ron Perlman. Of oh, Redmond. wow. Yeah. yeah. And he was an investor in this restaurant store. Oh, yeah. So the forces came brought to bear on Chris to kill the peace. Mm. And long story short, which you can Google up, it was like news in the LA Times, Wall Street Journal. He, over time, tried to diplomatically refuse to kill the peace and get them to reconsider. Mm. They, they basically were trying to, they forced him and he quit. Oh, wow. The entire senior leadership of Premier quit. Wow. Chris Connolly quit, Nancy Griffin quit, Corey Brown quit, um, and I had just kind of been promoted to staff writer there. I'm like, these were all my people. Mm, yeah. And I remember the day Chris Connolly quit. He, he doesn't drive, which is like a famous Chris Connolly thing for people who know him. And I remember his wife came to the back door to pick him up that day with her <laughs> third child, a newborn, Gabriel, oh, no. who's now like 27, but he was in the like, little baby carrier. She, they, she pulls up in her little red Volvo station wagon. Chris has his box of shit. Oh. He gets in the car and he leaves. Gosh. And I was like, that's what it? just happened? Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, <clears> What do you do now? That's it. Um, but there's, you know, obviously a huge lesson in there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this was a guy... Every, at the time, Premiere was relatively a hard-hitting 
magazine. You know, we had a guy named John Richardson who did a multi-part investigative series on Scientology before mm-hmm. anybody else. Before anybody else. Yeah. Um, we, all these power lists that you see in magazines, like mm-hmm. Premier Magazine, to my knowledge, did the first ever power list. Like, mm-hmm. power lists in the 80s and 90s of Premier Magazine, like, Hollywood execs were killing themselves to get on that list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's the movie, like, 10 or Perfect, whatever it is, yeah. with Travolta. Yeah. Like, there's a moment in yeah. there about the Premier power list. Like, yeah. It, it was a big fucking deal. Yeah. Um, I was 23 years old, and you know, if you wanted to get Jerry Bruckheimer to talk to you, you could just mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I'm going to do some reporting for the Powerless. Do you want to have lunch?" Yeah, sure. When do you want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, okay, I know how this works. Yeah. Um, but so he leaves. The editorial reputation of the magazine very quickly disintegrates, mm-hmm. um, and my old intern supervisor at Philly Mag reaches out and says, "Do you want to come back to Philadelphia and work here?" Huh. So that's what I did. I went to work at Philly Mag. Um, I was a front of the book editor and a writer, and I was freelancing. Um, and I had freelanced while the last, right before I left Premiere, I did a freelance piece for a magazine called Details. It was my first ever freelance yeah. piece. Basically, every yeah. magazine I've ever worked for is now dead. Oh, wow. <laughs> Premiere's dead. Details, Details, Details is dead. Details. Um, oh. Again, emblematic of the media yeah. landscape yeah. change, you know? So the first piece I ever did was this uh, piece about two Navy SEALs who kidnapped, raped, and killed a girl in Virginia Beach. And I wow. took two weeks vacation oh from my, my editorial God. assistant job at Premier, wrote it, oh. turned it in. Now I go back to Philadelphia, and um, I worked there for a little while. One day I get a call from an editor at GQ, a guy named Michael Haney, who is one of my dearest friends now. And he said, uh, he talks like Snuffleupagus. Can we hear? Sure, sure. Like, yeah, hey, like. Uh, hey, hey, Potter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Potter, this is Michael Haney. Oh, my God. <laughs> would you, would you, uh, would you consider uh, working for GQ, doing something for GQ? And I'm like 26, 27. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, I, the first magazine I ever subscribed to was GQ, oh, wow. but, yeah. but it like, wasn't for the fashion. There was these, it had like an incredible journalism yeah. reputation. Mike Sager and Tom Janot, chief mm-hmm. among them. Tom Janot is like the inspiration for the current Mr. Rogers movie. Yeah. Like that is Tom Janot. Well, yeah. Tom Janot was a GQ. Yeah. And he started at Atlanta Magazine and he was plucked up and mm. moved to GQ. Worked his way up. Worked his way up. I mean, we all did. Yeah. Had, there, was a, there was a career track yeah. that yeah. there isn't anymore. It's no. gone. But there yeah. was a career track at the time. So this guy calls me Haney, and so I go up to uh, interview with New York to interview uh, with Art Cooper, who like in the movie would be played by Sean Connery. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Late in life, he was like the Anna Wintour of men's oh, magazines. Wow. Yeah. Right? black turtleneck, yeah. black pants. Um, I mean, I didn't know this at the time, so I was like, "Yeah, sure, Michael." Uh, he goes, "Send me a few clips," and I was like, "What are you looking for?" You know, because I'm trying to get like, mm. "Are you looking to hire?" Or are you looking? Just send me a couple clips. <laughs> So I sent him a couple clips, and he's like, calls back a couple days later. He's like, "Hey, do you want to come up and?" Uh, How did you send them back in the day? Like uh, mail? Mail. Mail. Oh my god. Mail. Oh, wow. Fucking mail. Yeah. You know, stamp, yeah. envelope, yeah. write a cover letter. Wow. It's before Google, right? So you couldn't even look. Yeah, these you're not up. looking. Email. Uh, yeah. Was it? I don't even know. But right. You couldn't. Mm. It's not like you could send attachments. Right. Yeah, exactly. No. Maybe, maybe you so could do AOL attachments, but I'm pretty sure. No, you weren't. You, you were right there in a chat room in AOL. No. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Or a little, I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure it was snail mail. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, this is how I got to 5280. So I, I send Haney these clips. He says, hey, you want to come up and meet with Art? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I get up. Well, okay. So now I'm going to GQ. Right? Yeah, big deal. Big deal. This is a yeah. BFD. Huge yeah. deal. And this is like 1999, oh. right? So Devil Wears Prada on yeah. crack. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. all that shit you saw. The money, the yeah. budget. Everything. Oh. It was yeah. insane. Yeah. Well, I'm like, we, I could talk oh. to you all day. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I didn't even have a suit. That's what they say. Wear the polyester pants. I, I, yeah, I'm the dude in the polyester pants. I have a fucking suit. It's Philly magnet. Oh Nobody wears a suit. Yeah, right. So I go. At the time, I was living in Amish country. Wow. Um, <laughs> the, the, if you've ever seen the movie Witness, yes. I'm not kidding. I mean this literally. Yeah. Well, the train station at the beginning what? of the train station at the beginning of Witness is called yeah. Parksburg. Yeah. That was my fucking train station. Oh, yes. Wow. Wow. Did you have a hat? Did you wear like a hat? No. 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 I didn't I didn't have I didn't have a suit. Yeah. So I go to whatever the local oh like gosh. department store is oh, in wow. Amish country and I like try and pick out something that seems GQ-ish, right. you know? In Amish country. It'll be totally on trend now. What's that? It'll be totally on trend now. I I remember distinctly it was a it was like a lime green Oh, button down no. shirt. Because it was the 90s. It's like, the 90s. Yeah. I was fucking Don Johnson. Right. Or <laughs> the two guys from the Roxbury, right? Oh yeah. my god. Yes. In a blue linen suit. Oh it was it was it was no. either spring or summer. Wow. It was a it was a lime green shirt. That and is a blue scary. linen Light shirt. Light blue. No, dark blue. Oh, dark blue. Dark blue. Oh. dark blue. I love that wow. color combo. Oh god. I mean if it's back now, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like she yeah. Like the Seahawks. Correct. Yes. Correct. That wasn't front and center of my mind. But yes. No, I mean, I'm an English fan. So I take the train up, and you know, this was when Condé Nast was still at four Times Square. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it was like everything you see in the movie. Yeah. Like for me, I was like, oh, you yeah. Know? yeah. Like everybody in there is like beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like it's dripping with like glossy right. magazine mm-hmm. money. Yeah. Um, I take the elevator up. Like, the elevator smelled like a panty drawer. (laughs) It was, like, all perfume and beautiful. And I was like, this is awesome. Wait, Vogue's in here? What floor is Vogue on? Yeah. I want to go there. Huh? I want to go there. Yeah, well, that doesn't exist anymore. No, I know. So I went to Parsons and it was on 40th. And okay. 40th and 7th Avenue. So we were like two, like a couple blocks away, and we would always walk by oh and be like, God. oh shit, there's everybody walking in, and it was like crazy the yeah. amount of money walking in. The cafeteria at the time was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. I know. Oh my wow. God. Yeah. The cafeteria was yes. like a five star restaurant. Yeah. So, but I don't know any of this yet. Mm. So right. I, I take the elevator up. Um, you know, Michael takes, I remember, I remember this, like uh, you go in, and it's like you get off in the elevators, and to the right was. I don't remember what's the right, but to the left is GQ, the big mm. GQ through glass doors. Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, holy fuck. Big time. And, like uh, I've made it. Yeah. Well, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Right? Like, but I like, how does it, how does it, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. You know, I just, this is so not expected. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Haney takes me in to Art's office. My head's like on a swivel. Takes me to Art's office and Art is sitting in a black turtleneck, black pants. <laughs> he has a fucking bottle of Grey Goose vodka on his desk. It's full oh of glass right next to him. Behind him, a wall of photographs of him with everybody from Nixon to wow. like penthouse centerfolds because he'd worked at penthouse for a while. Mm, for right. wow. 
But this is a guy through the 60s and 70s, you know, the guy lived a life. Yeah. So we sit down and uh, Michael's there for maybe two minutes and he tells Michael to, to get out. We talk for like an hour and I don't remember what we talked mm. about. It doesn't feel like an interview. And uh, I'm on the train on Amtrak on the way home. And uh, my big brick of a Motorola cell phone hangs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Open the antenna, <laughs> take out the flip. Like Wall oh, Street. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Max, it's Art Cooper. He offered me a job. He's oh, like, wow. he's like, uh, he knew what I made. He had found out what I made at Philadelphia Magazine. Mm-hmm. He's like, we'll double your salary. Oh wow! Holy um, shit! Well, you got to have that to live in New York. Yeah. We'll double your salary, and uh, he said a bunch of nice things. That and he and I'm like, I accept. Wow. And he goes. Well, you should go home and talk to your bride. <laughs> and uh, wow. I said, you've just doubled my salary. And I mm-hmm. said, Art, here's what I did. I said, Art, um, we just moved into basically our first home. This is yeah. why I live in Amish country. Oh, wow. yeah. We just moved into our first home. I said, we're expecting our first kid. Mm. Um, you know, my lovely wife at the time had moved all these jobs that I had. You know, she'd been with me and mm-hmm. very supportive. Like none mm. of this would have ever been possible without her. And so we had found basically her idyllic place to live, oh which was this two hundred plus year old stone farmhouse. Wow. In Amish country, and we're pregnant with our first kid. Oh. And I said, Art, I can't believe I'm saying this, but if I have to leave, I can't take the job. Yeah. And then he says, You don't have to leave. Oh. Oh wow. We'll pay for your monthly Amtrak pass, and we'll put you up two to three nights at the Bryan Park Hotel. Oh, wow. wow. To your point. <laughs> yeah. To your point. That was so much money back To then. your point. And I was oh like, my God. I accept. And he goes, you should go home and talk to your wife. Wow. And I was like, what's sort of talking about? <laughs> this is a win-win. This is a win-win. Exactly. Yeah. So like I went home, we talked. She's like, yeah, of course. And then I started working there and I worked there for like two, two plus years. Mm. And um, Art was, I, I phrase it this way. He was retired after mm. 20 plus years. A new editor-in-chief came in, cleaned house. Yeah. I was unemployed with a newborn kid and another one on the way. Um, I pitched a piece to uh, Men's Journal at the Mm. time. They signed it. Uh, In summary, it was about the first kid ever to be court-martialed or tried for rape born of the Air Force Academy sexual assault scandals of the late 90s. Yeah. Um, Worked on that for like six to eight months. Picked up another piece along the way um, about uh, an epidemic of suicides in the army, mm. and I pitched that to Rolling Stone. It was assigned, so I work on both of these pieces for like a year. Well, it's all I'm doing. I'm collecting unemployment. Mm. My wife is working at Home Depot on the weekends, oh. and we have two kids. We're trying to yeah. figure out how to pay the mortgage. Right. And uh, the editors in chief of both Rolling Stone and Men's Journal uh, get canned. Oof, right wow. as my pieces are closing. Oh my gosh. And the stories that I was working on were like very sensitive with subjects who were like crying to me on the phone. Like at this mm. point, I forged profound bonds and felt a sense of obligation and had promised them that these pieces are going to run. Right. And so these stories get killed. And I had been flying, both of these stories happened to be based in Colorado. Yeah, I'd wow. never been to Colorado before. Yeah. And, uh, I ended up calling, as I was flying in that, I saw this magazine called 5280. And wow. it looked like they were making money. And yeah. was, at the time, you know, I say this very respectfully, at the time, there wasn't anything that looked much like journalism in it. Mm. Yeah. But the owner at the time was talking about wanting to do that. 
So they, you know, did the Google. Mm-hmm. Now Google exists. Yeah. <laughs> the Google. Well, Media Bistro was a thing. Yeah. Oh, yes. Media Bistro. And there was a lot of like, it was a big bulletin board, a lot yeah. of information. Yes. Yeah. So oh, I essentially funny. wrote this guy and I said, I have these two pieces. Do you want them? Mm. I was fucked. Fuck New York. Like yeah. I'm done. Mm. And he took them both. They ran. Um, and they ended up, uh, and then he oh. uh, offered me a job and I took it and that's how I ended up at 5280. And that year, both of those pieces were uh, finalists for the National Magazine Award. Wow. And so um, that, that started, it, it's sort of like, that was sort of the Alka-Seltzer in the tank, I think. Mm. But when 5280 began to garner um, more of a national presence, yeah. which they've sustained mm-hmm. very well since. Um, so but you yeah, helped put them on the map. You did. Yeah. It worked out. Yeah. It worked out. Yeah. We hired, we hired uh, you know, they had, I think everybody here knows Amanda Faison. Mm-hmm. Amanda is one of the, truly one of the most remarkable human beings I've ever met in my life. Um, and I would say, you know, aside from obviously the founding owner and all the, the business acumen that goes into that, Amanda is the one who, without her, there would be no 52 mm. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. She, at that time, I think when I went there, there was maybe three editorial staffers. Mm. Um, and Amanda was running the ship. I think they published maybe eight times a year. Oh, wow. Um, and what she was doing, I mean, it was Amanda. Um, another person who like joined there right after college had relatively no mm-hmm. journalism experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we started to like, then people from New York were applying. Oh, wow. Then we started to get like resumes from people that it didn't mean they were any brighter or, or um, any more gifted right. than the people that, were, that existed. Mm. Yeah. But what was new is they had experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they could bring that and everybody could learn. It was like, it was kind of like an incubator before that term was a buzzword, mm. right? Like there was a lot of lessons learned mutually. Let's well, so, just say like you were a mag- in your world in magazines during a particularly... Uh, crazy time. It was crazy magic. Journalism. It was crazy. You magic. went from like the highs right. to like yeah. massive upheavals all over the place, and then figuring out how to make it work, which is kind of amazing because like probably the generation ahead of you mm-hmm. was like very like you know magazines are the, run this way, and there's this budget, and it's very like sort of understood. But in some ways, I imagine you had to hustle a little bit harder because of the nature of the industry. I, yes and no. I mean, I've had this conversation with a lot of my peers. Yeah. You know, one of your questions is, how has the media landscape changed? Yeah. yeah. You know, I teach yeah, a couple classes us. at CU. Yeah. I get this question all the time. It, it was tricky, but it wasn't. You know, yeah. I, I consider myself among the generation that will be the last wave to hit the beach that you can actually cobble together a career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know how people coming after me do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I have no advice to give. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in essence, I would discourage it. <laughs> like when my own son was applying to college well, last year. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a pretty gifted writer. He's more well-read than I am. I mean, he mm-hmm. has this beautiful mind and a sensitivity. And I think he could probably be a gifted writer if that's what he wanted to do. But how the fuck would he make any money? Right, yeah. right, right. You know, what? There, there is no magazines... Magazines learn no, almost no lessons from watching what happened with newspapers. Mm, right. And so magazines, printed magazines, in my opinion, and I've had this sentiment shared with me uh, with many friends who are currently employed by them, magazines are on hospice. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not a matter of if. 
It's a matter of when or can they build a bridge and adapt. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, like, when I used to go to into GQ, I completely had it at my discretion. When I took the train from Amish country into New York, I could take a Lincoln Town car. I could oh summon a Lincoln God. Town car and have it take me from the train station to four Times Square. Mm. I felt funny doing it. Like, right. I was worried somebody would, like, look at my expense account. Right. But I was an idiot, so right? Long. Like, yeah. Yeah. everybody was doing this shit. Right. You know, two-hour lunches, like, all that stuff. Yeah. That was happening. Oh all gone. Yeah. So are you saying there's no money in it now? There's like, no money. For me, like, I don't, I don't pay my bills as a contributing editor at Vanity Fair. I mean, I yeah. barely paid my bills as an editor-at-large with Esquire. Mm. Yeah. So if, but, but I'm, because of my work history, yeah. because of um, relationships yeah. and, and what editors know of me. Mm. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm among, like I say, I'm among a generation. Right, right, right. right. We have that benefit where you're still kind of able to hang on here and there, but yeah. no, nobody's making no yeah. many magazines that I know. Yeah, mm. the way that it was. No, yeah, that's, that's gone. Mm. Yeah, and it's not unless something inexplicable that that nobody's prognosticating yeah. happens. I don't see it getting any better. Yeah. So it was easier for me to your question. Like there still was the semblance of, well, I have a couple friends who work here, here, and here. Yeah. If I kill it on these freelance pieces, like when I got shit canned from GQ, the thinking was, I'll do these two freelance pieces. Mm -hmm. Somebody in the musical chairs of magazines who knows my work that I have a relationship well, with need. will end up wow. somewhere. I'll, I'll probably find a gig. Right. Um, you know, when I when they killed my contract at Esquire, I was like, that's the last magazine job I'm ever going to have. Yeah. Like, I'm done. Yeah. There's, there's just fucking nowhere to go. Right. Um, so now it's tricky. Yeah. Like now it's really hard. And what I've learned over the years is, yes, I consider myself a journalist, mm -hmm. uh, a long form writer, but you have to, I have had to diversify my portfolio of professionally what I do mm. um, to pay the bills. Yeah. So let's talk about like your two books, one of the ex-governor and the other one about like a wine scandal. Tell yeah. us more about that. The one I have now. <laughs> We're going to do a book Shadows in the later. I know. Annie's a stalker. Thank I know. I love it. I might be. Thank you very much for buying. I don't even care if you read it. Just thank you no, for buying she, it. She, she, yeah. she did read it. Max wrote a book called Shadows in the Vineyard. I'm holding it right now it's because it's a podcast so I can see it. But um, I honestly don't know how I came to this book. I think it might have been recommended to me by another friend. I primarily only read nonfiction. Um, I think real life is more interesting than fiction sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I just found it so fascinating. And this was born out of an article that you wrote for Vanity Fair, yeah. correct? Yes. I love that article. And the article yeah. is fascinating. Mm -hmm. How do you take an article to a book? Um. <laughs> nutshell. <laughs> Once again, nutshell. So this was like 2010-ish, I think. Mm. And... Uh, was it? Yeah, late 2010. Can you look it up? Well, that published in 2014. I know. But I'm trying to think. 2011. Piece, I, 2011. Yeah. I think it ran in January-ish 2011. Rob Lowe was on the cover of that Vanity Fair. Because <laughs> I remember getting that. I was oh, like, this Rob. guy doesn't fucking age. <laughs> 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 what the fuck? He's actually gotten his ever. He does I not. know. Yeah. So um, I was like, man, if you had me shirtless on that. <laughs> so the way that started was... Uh, I. I I took a trip to, um, where did I work at the time? Oh, it was a 5280. Mm. And uh, I took a trip through completely unexpected circumstances to wine country. It was a long weekend. Yeah. And uh, 
I, I hooked up with an old college buddy of mine, and the last time I saw this dude, he was like doing a keg stand behind the door. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's like, now at that point, he was like the managing partner for PricewaterhouseCoopers oh, wow. in San wow. Francisco. And he and his wife, Taryn, lived there, and I reached out, and I was like, hey, pun intended, through the grapevine, I hear you guys live in Sonoma. <laughs> you want to give us a tour? Yeah. So he meets us, he's giving us a tour, and we start at, like, Shandon. And I, I didn't know shit nice. about wine. Like, yes. zero. Yeah, yeah. Like, the only thing I knew about wine is my grandfather, Bernard McGrath, drove King, drank Kingsport wine and got oh. shit-faced, and he hit it in the turntable in my oh, grandfather's no. house. <laughs> he would get fucking housed, go into the dining room, and pass out under the dining room table. Oh, no. That's all I knew about wine. 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 It gets you drunk. Wine. wine. Yeah. If it's more than $12, forget about <laughs> it. So um, I go and I ha- hang out with this buddy of mine, and by like, I don't know, you know, we hit all those places like Shandon, Nickel and Nickel. And Homeboy has like this VIP pass, and he's getting him in all these fucking VIP rooms, and he starts talking about like the effervescence of the bubbles right. and like sediment, mm-hmm. and I'm like, dude. What the fuck? And and he's I said, I feel like the next place you're gonna take us is to like your vines. And he goes, Yeah, that's lunchtime. And I was like, wait, what? So we hang out there all day and um, we go to his vines Mm -hmm. and at this point I met like a lot of people, had like an awesome time. I'm half in the bag, it's beautiful. Right, right. right. And at the time that's where Lorena got married. Oh really? Where? At Meadowood. Meadowood. I don't know that one. I'm guessing it's pretty fancy pancy. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fancy. I will say the the wedding was kind of fabulous. It's, yeah. I mean, it's such it's a setting. beautiful backdrop that you don't even need to do anything oh, wow. because the whole property... Well, you need to get married at that point. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, and then we're getting married. But anyways, it was more about the food and just the, you know, the what we were serving. Like, I, I mean, we got lost of about the ceremony because I was like, uh, no ceremony or like five <laughs> minutes or no vows. It was just literally all about the whole entire setting. And Wait, I'm confused. Did you or did you not? It's like no vows. Yeah, 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 I, mean, yeah, I know. Just yeah. say cheers, it's over. Yeah, I mean, I love that place so much that I want to get married there again. <laughs> To the, the same, same person. person. Sure. Okay. sure. Sorry, Sam. Sam, whoever. Sam. What did you have if you didn't have vows? She had vows. No, she had vows. We didn't oh. have vows. We just had the officiant. Basically, we sent in five things we both admire and liked about wow. each other, but we both made them funny. So it was a very yeah. lighthearted, quick... Did you end up at the end of this thing? <laughs> I do. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's, That's the moral of the story. He did. Yeah. Okay. He did. So you were visiting your friends. Maybe. Yeah, so he... And I'm like, wow, this is pretty awesome. Mm. And at the time, I was covering, like, either editing or writing or reporting stories that were just, like, not... Did not make you feel great right. about your fellow it seems like it. Yeah. And I was like, I gotta find a story that gets me, like, here, this is fucking the shit, right? right. Everybody's, like, <laughs> drinking, it's sunny, everybody's having yeah. a good time. This is why... And uh, he says, well, uh, I may have one for you. Oh, my gosh. And he said, uh, I just saw on a wine blog the other day that some bad guys tried to poison extort, I don't remember exactly what he said, uh, the Domaine de la Lumine Conti. And I said, what's that? Who is that? Mm. And he goes, you're a Neanderthal. Yeah. 
And I said, hey, last time I checked, you were fucking the android. Why don't you enlighten me? Yeah. So he tells me that this DRC place um, uh, produces a number of the world's greatest wines. Mm. And I'm like, how, how much How much of these wines sell? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, the most recent vintage is like 10 grand a bottle. And I was like, wait, what? Who would buy that? Right. There's so many questions. Yeah, oh, my God. And I said, so you're telling me that this joint that makes wine and sells it for like 10 grand a bottle, someone tried to extort them and like somehow poison their shit? And he says, yeah. And I go, that sounds like a Vanity Fair story. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I go back to my hotel room, like literally that night, and like Google, Google, and oh, wow. he's he was right. It had not been like published anywhere else, and it, the the news as what as much as it was had been on one blog at that point. Mm. And as I would <laughs> as I would come to learn, the the director of the domain in Burgundy, the DRC, they were they were trying to keep this very quiet, so they had strategically um, leaked it to this one particular yeah. blog so that they would. Uh, proactively sort of like get it out there but try to minimize mm. inquiries yeah. and questions yeah. right mm. so as soon as I saw this I was like oh okay um, <laughs> so I sent an email to Graydon mm. and uh, like literally the next day I mean the next day he wrote me back and he said um, sounds amazing um, get on a plane and uh, your editor is Dana Brown and, and wow. the, I, had a, I had a rapport with him because after the 5280 moment where the stories got nominated, mm-hmm. um, this was a time where magazines still called you and offered you jobs. Mm-hmm. So Graydon called me and I went to New York and he offered me a job. Wow. And I turned it down. And I turned it down because I basically said to him, hey, I'm grateful this would be a dream job. But the only reason you're talking to me is because some guy in Denver at 5280 took a chance and invested in these two mm-hmm. stories. And I made a commitment. So I, right. I'm not mm-hmm. leaving. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, if you have, pick whatever stories you want, this was all like within a three month period. Mm. He's like, pick whatever stories you want, send me the query letters. Mm. And so this was the first query I sent. <laughs> and, and he said, go. And so I went, um, did the piece for VF. And um, my agent at the time was getting a lot of queries from publishers. And they're like, hey, have this dude do a wow. book proposal. So I did a book proposal and um, I mean, it's fascinating. That's it is really fascinating. Really. We'll link to the article yeah. in our show notes. Yeah, okay. um, totally. If we know how to do that. We probably should And then, yeah, so to wrap up, I'm just curious as we're wrapping up, like, so what are you doing now? Yeah. Where are you? What are you doing? Pardon me? You're writing a novel, right? Uh, Can you speak I'm about that? I'm doing two nonfiction <laughs> books right now. Okay. okay. Um, one is uh, political. Okay. Mm. Um, one is not. Okay. Um... I am working with some production partners uh, to develop that. Um, yeah, um, right now, the thinking is is a limited series. We have oh, wow. we have two actor producers who have signed on. That's mm. it's official. They've signed it on. It reads like a movie. Get wow. his autograph now. Remember yeah. the little people. I know. Remember, oh, there's us. still like, as my dad used to say, there's a lot of felt on the table between the cue ball and the corner pocket. Like, there's so many ways that this could like fuck up or implode. Well, I've, I've been, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and some of them are about movies, and it sounds like, I mean, just because you have all that, it's years and years to get funding and people. This thing's on. been optioned like five different times. Right, it's gone through two scripts. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, but now it's a new team. That's so cool. So that, um, uh, yeah. in well, VF premiere. Yeah, we will be. Sure. Okay. 
All right, we probably got to yeah. do a wrap. Hold on. So the last thing I want to ask you, last <laughs> night I read an article and I'm that still, you wrote. I'm still with VF and I'm working on a, a couple of projects with um, my writing partner, Alex French. Okay, I'm working nice. on a Brian Singer piece with. I was just about to ask about that. Yeah. Like, how is that guy not having his Harvey Weinstein moment yet? <laughs> like, how is he still <laughs> around? I read that article and it was just like traumatic. Like, the things is young boys went through like when is he going down uh, i i think you guys should consider having a podcast <laughs> on that I oh think my it's really god fascinating yeah. That yeah i don't know the answer to your question mm. right like that dude is in my opinion uh a pinata of substantial credible allegations that by all justice rights should be yes. whacked and explored yes wow um and by whacked i mean investigated mm. um <laughs> <laughs> and and how how criminal charges how there's not I, I there certainly should be at least the exploration of these things exactly um, but I, but I think it's an interesting thing you know I'm I'm here um, having the pleasure of company of five accomplished smart women um, let's stipulate that Me Too was way long overdue yeah right yeah Me Too was so way long overdue but the the public outcry and the momentum that galvanized behind um, women who had been subjected to various degrees of misogyny, abuse, mm -hmm. sexual mm -hmm. assault, rape. Um, fortunately, that has, uh, in one instance, ended with the conviction of Harvey. Yeah. Um, yes. But that same, what, what my partner and I and many of people who are involved in that Brian Singer story have remained fairly incredulous about, yes. is that where's the Me Too? Where's all the red carpet? Where's all the pins? Yeah. These were boys. Right. Yeah. These were boys. Yeah. They their lives were ravaged and ruined. Yeah. They are not Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm. Yeah. They they mm. uh, they are not Ashley Judd. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're trying to survive and patch their lives back together. Yeah. But there was no momentum that was pulled to them from the town and from the town I mean Hollywood yeah. to to say hey. And yeah. and they like everybody says with Harvey for a guy, and, and we knew this at Premiere, like yeah. 30 years uh, ago, sure. right? Oh, yeah. Like the rumors wow. are so pervasive and so deep. Right. But if, if people knew. So much power. Yeah. There, was an, there was an enabling, yeah. there was an enabling or a willful ignorance yeah. from studios, yeah. production mm -hmm. companies, investors, yeah. actors, yeah. agents, yeah. publicists, yeah. all of them. Yeah. yeah. There were some people that were definitely privy to it and yeah. turned a blind eye. Yeah, yeah. Same, in my opinion, with the allegations made against mm. Brian Singer. And there are others. Yeah. He, he is not alone. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and his yeah. parents, I have two boys, you have two boys. Like, just because they're boys doesn't mean they're less helpful. Like, in it, like, I don't know, just women and men, like, I think about my boys all the time. I'm like, how to raise them to be good men, but also to protect them too. My kids, their children. I, my kids, when I started that, were were seventeen and sixteen. Yeah. Um, and many of the alleged victims were in the in the age range of thirteen to sixteen. Yeah. And we heard from some people during the reporting, like it's a sixteen year old kid. Like they know they yeah. can make free will. They're they so like, really? Do you have a sixteen year old? Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. You know, if you expose a sixteen year old. You give them the whiff of proximity to wealth. Yeah. yeah. And anything Power. you want. And a Ferrari. Yeah. And a big party. Yeah. And you get to meet so-and-so celebrity. And they're done. And Power. you haven't even yeah. figured out how your heart and body works. Yeah. And you're brought into... It's grooming. Yeah. And you're yeah. brought into a world where this becomes the transaction and you mm -hmm. think that's the way to go. That's how you get it. That's how you get it.
Okay, we gotta wrap that. Thank you. Oh, that lovely note. Oh, 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 this was so good. Oh my gosh, this was so amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And then yeah. Max, can you tell everybody where they can find you no. on social media or where they can <laughs> buy your books? Um, <laughs> Amazon. Well, you can uh, buy my book. I, I would prefer if well. Buy the book anywhere, please. Um, I would prefer that you buy it at the Tattered Cover or at nice. your local mm-hmm. um, bookshop. Thank you. Um, if not, there are the obvious places um, online. Um, my Twitter handle is Max A Potter. I will link all of those. And my Instagram is Maximilian Potter. Five seconds. And that's it. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you.